So I'm just going to ask the, the group here, how many of you guys have been to all of them 66 times? There's a couple. I got there, there's three. There's three people here that have been here every year for the Carmen Lectureship. So thank you for that. Like, this is an amazing thing that you guys put on um, yearly. Um, and it's a pleasure for me to be here. My name is Jay, and as uh, what you've heard from the introduction, I, don't, I haven't done much. <laughs> I'm actually the new guy in Winnipeg. So I have a picture of, uh, hold on a sec, maybe, there you go, of my family here. I brought my, fa uh, my family here uh, uh, to Carmen this afternoon. That's my wife, Linda. Hold on, maybe I should, Linda, that's Esther, my, our youngest. She's one year old, and this is, hold on. It's not working. There you go, Daniel. Daniel is our second uh, boy, like second uh, child. He is, uh, how old is he? Three years old. I almost uh, forgot how old he is. And our oldest is, uh, hold on, I don't know where to point this. Jacob, he is five years old. And obviously this is, that's me. It's going to say J on there. So I love being a dad. I love being a father. Because being a father to me, uh, especially in relation to my boys and, and, and Esther, is uh, they look up to me. And I know this because every time I come home, they would come up to me and go, Daddy. They would drop everything that they're doing and they would go, Daddy. And I would kneel down like this and they would come to me. You know, they, they look up to me. They, whatever I do, they want to do. If I'm working and they want to have a makeshift laptop so that they could pretend that they're working as well. If I'm eating something, they would want to eat the same things. If I'm sitting a certain way, like my cross leg, you know, like figure four like that, they would sit the same way. And when I do little workouts at home, uh, you know, doing push-ups, they would do push-ups with me. They would do downward dogs with me. I loved it. And it just goes to show the influence that I have on them, right? I love the, the, the topic this weekend, the theme of the lectureship this weekend, because it talks about influence. When Jesus tells us that we are the salt and that we are the light, it's talking about influence. It's talking about leadership. And it's talking about the thing that we do for this world. It is talking about the role that God has said His people are going to have. This crucial, incredible, amazing role that we need to have in this world. Right? In our context today here in Manitoba and everywhere else that we could be. Now, uh, it's, I'm fortunate to have the topic today, Salt and Light Christians, because this is uh, I'm, I'm really passionate about this. And this sermon I preached four weeks ago in, in Winnipeg. So if you're from Winnipeg today, you've seen this before. But the slide is pretty, is sort of different. And there's some new things in there that you could benefit from. So please stick around. For you, if you have not heard this before, I'm so delighted. And I'm, I'm thankful that I have this opportunity now to uh, uh, preach the Word of God to you today. So um, the, our, uh, the lesson today uh, this, for this afternoon for myself is called Salt and Light Christians. And what I'm going to do uh, this afternoon is to really understand what that means for us today. What does it mean for us to be salt and light Christians? What does it entail? And what does it mean for us today? Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the two things. So I'm going to, what I've done is I've divided the lesson today in two parts. We're going to talk about salt and then salt and light. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide the lesson into two salt and light. We're going to look into 
why Jesus referred to his people as salt and light. Right? We're going to look into exactly why it's called, uh, what, what salt does and what salt is and what light is and what it does so we can make the practical application for ourselves today. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our, my time here in front of you today. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is salt. So Jesus says, where's that thing again? Jesus told us in Matthew 5.13, now this has disappeared, it's, it's all gone now. In Matthew 5.13, that we are the salt of the earth. You know, when I first heard that, when I first read that as a young Christian, I remember thinking, why? Why does Jesus refer to me as salt? Why not like sugar? You know what I'm saying? Or why not like gold or diamond or something precious or something valuable? What is it with salt that Jesus referred to me as salt, to me and you as salt? So um, the first thing that I want to say is that salt actually is precious. Salt is precious. And the reason is because of how the people back then in Jesus' time viewed salt. Okay? Back then, salt was the, probably one of the most valuable things that people owned in their homes. They actually cleaned with it. They brushed their teeth with it. They, do, they did all sorts of things with it. And one of the things they did with it is they paid people with it. Yes, Roman soldiers back then were paid in salt. That's where we get that word salary from. In Latin, sal is salt, and the word salarium is salt money. The soldiers got paid in salt. That's why even today in our expressions, if you earned your money today, if you earned your salary or wage, people are going to say, oh, that guy earned his salt today. I'm not making that up. Look it up. Google it. It's there. It is amazing because it is precious. It is valuable. Um, back then as well, salt was deeply ingrained in people's cultures. Back then, if two people wanted to do something in terms of a contract, if they want to sit down and they want to say, well, we got we to gotta agree, we have to make a deal. They sat down, and you know what they did? They did not sign documents. You know what they did? They ingested salt in front of each other and in front of witnesses to signify that what they just agreed to was legal, binding, and it is, it's a deal. It's a contract. You know what they called that? They called that uh, covenant of the salt or salt covenant. And that term was in, our, in the Old Testament. Look at Second uh, Chronicles 13.15. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? So this verse is telling us that God promised Israel made a binding promise to Israel, a covenant of salt, to make Israel uh, uh, belong to David and his descendants forever. And we know that God stuck to that promise because today, King Jesus is king, not only of Israel, but of heaven and on earth. Salt covenant. But the Jewish people that, was, that were listening to Jesus when he uh, talked about you are the salt of the earth, clicked in their minds because salt as well was deeply ingrained in the Jewish people's traditions, in their law. Okay? In fact, 
in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all of your offerings. Salt was extremely important. The first point that I would like for us to sink in in our minds and in our hearts today as salt of the earth is this. We are important. We are precious and we are valuable. God has given us that role to be influencers of this world as salt of the earth. We need to be on, we need to be, here's the ball, we need to be on it. We need to be on that ball, right? We are valuable to God, okay? So valuable that your ministries, wherever you are, whatever your context is, what you do for the kingdom, what I do for the kingdom, God deeply values. We know this hand on heart because the writer of Hebrews told us in chapter 6, verse 10, for God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. He does not overlook any of that. He knows. Isn't that a thought that just fills our hearts with joy? Because we are precious to God. So the next thing that I want to talk to you about salt is this. And this is where the practical stuff comes in now. Because the next practical things that we're going to look into, salt and light, is what actually salt does when it's applied on things. Okay? When you apply salt to things, this is what it does. The first thing that it does, and the application for us today, is that salt preserves. So today, we probably don't care that salt preserves. You know why? Because we have refrigerators today. You want fresh meat? Go to the grocery store. There's fresh meat in the refrigerated aisle, right? The same thing with vegetables and fish. You go there, you get your stuff done. You don't need salt. But back then, one of the things that, makes, that made salt very valuable and very useful and, very, and, and coveted as a daily staple was its ability to preserve. In fact, the fishermen probably who were, who were listening to Jesus when he was uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount were like, oh yeah, salt is pretty good. Because they knew that right after the catch of the day, they would cover their fish with salt to prolong its shelf life. That's what they did. Today, Christians, the people of God, right, even back then, throughout the times, the people of God have had the same preserving effect on the world. Do you guys remember when God said, well, you know what, Sodom and Gomorrah, has, has, they've done it. I'm done. They, I'm going to destroy uh, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you guys remember that? Do you guys remember when, when Abraham heard? And you know what he did? Do you remember? Remember he bargained with God? You know what he talked to God about? Okay, here's, what, here's how it went down. Genesis 18, 25. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the, the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will you, not will you not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham is saying, whoa, 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 God, hold on. You are the judge. 
you're the righteous judge. You mean to say you're going to destroy the bad people there together with the good people? What if there's 50 good people in there? Will you still destroy uh, the, the, the city? You know what God said? God said? No, I'm not gonna. And then Abraham said, well, how about there's 45? Do you guys remember that? And he said, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do it. How about there's 40? Like, read it. Genesis 18. Like, if you go down, he actually did that. And then he went down to like 30, you know, 20, 10. Because God will not, God would, would concede that I will not destroy it for the sake of those righteous people who are still there. What is it to us then? To us today. To us today. We have the exact same preserving power. We preserve this world when we show the world Jesus. We preserve the world and, and avoid, try to avoid the decay, the moral decay of the society today by first and foremost being the salt of the earth, by, by our actions, by who we are as the people of God. That is what we do. Now, the next thing that salt does and that we do as well because we are the salt of the earth is that it seasons. It makes things taste nice. You guys understand that? Okay? Have you guys, do you guys like fried rice? I like fried rice. Imagine fried rice without, without salt. Okay, scratch that because you probably don't care for fried rice. French fries. Fries. Have you guys had fries without salt? I had. Okay, I'll briefly tell you the story. Is Linda here today? Oh, she's in there. So it's okay. I can talk to you about her all I want. So uh, we're having people over, and we had this deep fryer at home, right, that can do French fries. Amazing. So my job was to, like, at, when Linda tells me, Jay, it's ready. When Linda says it's ready, I have to go to the deep fryer, take out the thing, pour it in a bowl, put salt in it, mix it up, and serve it to the people. So Linda told me, Jay, it's time. So I go. Oh, I know exactly what to do. Did the thing, turned to the people, I was like, hey guys. And what I did was I, because I love fries, I took one first and I bit it and I went, it's bland. No taste in that. I forgot to do the salt thing. And literally, like, my appetite was like, it went down. I didn't want to eat any, of, I didn't want to eat another bite. So I had to put salt in it to make it taste better. And we all understand that. Um, salt makes things taste better. That's the exact same thing that we need to do as the salt of the earth to, the, to, the, to, to, to our society, to the people around us, to the world around us, to our families, in our schools. Everywhere we, can, we, we, we are, we make everything seem better. We make life better because we are here on this world. I know it sounds like too far-fetched, but that is what we do as Christians. That is what we do as Christians. Wherever we are, there is, everything is better. Would you guys agree with that? If we don't think about it that way, it's, why? Why not think that way? Everywhere we are, we make everybody's lives better, not the opposite, because we are the salt of the earth.
Colossians 3.23, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. The Apostle Paul here was writing, was, was his audience was the church in Colossae. But specifically, he wanted to address the slaves. Because the slaves at the time were the working people. And he knew exactly the conditions in which they worked. But you know what he did to encourage them? He said, do your work, but don't, don't think about it as you're doing it for your masters. Because many of their masters were cruel. Do your work and think that you are doing that for God. How do we become the salt of the earth? The kind that, that, that seasons everything around us. The kind that makes everything better around us. Well, we can start here. We can apply that in our chosen professions, can't we? Some of you guys here are in the medical world. Some of you are in the, in the trades. Some of you are in the service, hospitality, or retail. Some of you are baristas. I don't know, right? If you, if, if you want to apply this in your life, be the best barista that you can be for Starbucks. I don't know if they call it barista Tim Hortons. I don't know. Maybe not because they're not that kind of, you know. But be the best student, doctor, nurse, plumber, electrician that you can be. And when you do, everywhere you go, it'll be better. You will enhance the flavor of this world for God. You will enhance the lives of the people that you serve. Now think about your families. Many of you guys here are fathers. Many of you guys here are mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, Christians. Why can't we resolve in our minds and in our hearts to say, God, I want to be the best Christian, the best father, the best husband that you want me to be for my family? That's why I love the admonition from Dan this morning or this afternoon. Okay? How much have you grown in a year? Are you the same Christian back then than you are now? If so, then we are probably not growing. Okay? The encouragement this morning is to grow so we can keep seasoning the different uh, uh, circles of societies in which we belong. Our families, our church, our workplaces, school, university, neighborhoods. That is the greatest, the, big, the biggest idea. We are precious, we preserve, and we season. But Jesus had a warning. Matthew 5, 13 and 14, this is what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus himself said that. And he says, you could lose your saltiness. You're probably thinking today, it's not possible. Because you go to your pantry, you look at, you get salt. How can you make this not salty? If you make this not salty, it's going to disappear. Do you guys understand? Because uh, the, I guess that has, the, trans, you know, it's, the, the idea has been lost in our society today. Because today, we have access to 100% pure sodium chloride salt. Back then, they didn't. You know what they did back then to get salt? They went to salt marshes. That's how they got salt. 
and they don't refine things there, right? Back then, what they, what they would have is salt, but with earth particles, plant particles in there that's not pure. It's all white, but it's not pure salt. So it's exposed to the elements, the humidity. It's exposed to, uh, to many things. So salt sometimes disappears because of moisture. And what they have is this clump of white stuff that's not salty. You know what Jesus said? And you know what they did back then? They actually used it to tamp out pathways. That's why it's good to be trampled underfoot. But for us today, Jesus is actually saying, we are useless for the use, for the purpose that, we, that they have given us if we are not going to be salty anymore. It's like, how many of you guys have had, how many computers do you have at home? You probably have a lot, right? Because if the work computer stops working, you just leave it there and get a new one. You don't want to get rid of it, right? Because you don't want to throw it out in the garbage because, oh, people are going to mine that for stuff that I don't want them to like have. So you just keep piles of laptops at home. I know people do do that. We have that at home. So what we do is like sometimes that we were moving, we took one of those laptops and made it a doorstop. A laptop for a doorstop. It doesn't... Salt for something that you would put on the path? It doesn't make sense. How about us today? How does this apply to us today? How can we lose our saltiness today? You guys can, can just create the applications in your mind. I can understand. But the biggest thing that I want us to take away from this is when we are not enhancing our society, our communities, our congregations, our families, the people that we interact with, if they look at us as somebody, oh, I have a problem, but I'm not going to go to Jay because Jay snaps, he's going to snap at me. He's going to condescend on me. He's not that kind of guy. He's not approachable. Then I'm losing my saltiness. And what we read here, will ring true. Romans 2.24 As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Apostle Paul was talking to the Jewish Christians and saying, you guys, the outside world are looking at you and you are bringing dishonor to God because of what you're doing. I pray that that is not the case for us today. If it is, be joyful. Why? Well, be remorseful first and then be joyful because there is, there is such, still such a thing as repentance and there is such a thing as forgiveness. We can still make it right. Now, salt and light Christians are precious. We preserve and we season. Now, let's look at the light. Light. One of the best things that we know today is light. Sometimes we don't think about it until there's a there's, do you call it blackouts? Until there's a blackout. In the Philippines, I kid you not, we call it brownout. Okay, so you make the, the distinction there. So, we call, <laughs> so blackouts, right? Blackouts. And then we, oh, it's, it's dark. Have you guys been in a room that's really dark and you can't see in front of you? What do you, what's your instinct? I know you do this. But what I wanted to do is I just want, I, I, my eyes are still wide open. And you know what I'm looking for? A little glimmer of light. So I can, I can sort of have bearing in the room. 
See, the world is the exact same thing. The world is so dark. And people want to see a little bit of the light that they can follow, that they can be inspired by. This world is so bad. It's so dark. Like, with all the advancements and the information, the technology that we have, this world is still in the dark. You know why? Because this world cannot create its own light. Right? There was a study that was done that said before the 1900s, information and learning doubled every 100 years. And then after World War II, in the, in mid, in the mid-1900s, information, you know, uh, learning, knowledge doubled every 25 years. But at the turn of the century, the 2000s, the early 2000s, you know how, what the, the rate was? Information and learning doubled every 13 months, right? In many aspects of, of, of our society, like medicine, you know, health. You know, back then, you know, you know how, some, how people said, eggs, you don't eat eggs because it's cholesterol, but now it's the healthiest thing that you can eat. Back then, caffeine was not good, but now it's like, oh yeah, eat, drink caffeine. Back then, like, you know, people said, well, fat is not good for you. And then they substitute everything with sugar. And then now it's the opposite. Like, you know, sugar is bad for you. Now eat fat. Because sugar is more fattening than fat. <laughs> right? But you know what? That same study said that by, by 2015, that, that's when IBM, IBM came up with the study, said that information doubled. You know what? Every 12 hours. What I know today is probably obsolete tomorrow. When I get a phone today, tomorrow is probably like out, outdated. I probably have to update it. With all that stuff this world has, it's still in the dark. And you know what God's plan is? God's plan is for His people to sort that out, to be salt and light for Him in this world. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. What does light do? Well, the first thing that light does is this. It is visible. Okay? You can't hide it. It's visible. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14 to 15, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus lives in our hearts as Christians. God lives in our bodies through His Holy Spirit we have influence we are something we are someone that is close to god we are the ambassadors of christ in this world we cannot put that under a bushel no we're gonna let it shine we're gonna let it shine i love the illustration that jesus paints in our minds here a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Have you guys seen a town on a hill? Is there one here in Manitoba? <laughs> sorry, that, I know, yeah, sorry, no, okay. There, there is? Okay, oh, okay we're going to have to find out exactly where. I'm going to put that in here the next time I preach this. This is a town on a hill. That's Santorini right there. It's beautiful. Look at that. You cannot not see that when you're in that area. You will, wow. That is supposed to be the exact same response when people see Christians. 
wow. Yeah, there's something about this guy. There's something about that woman. There's something about that family. There's something about this congregation. Wow. Right there. And I did not make that up. Jesus showed us this illustration. Right there. Now, look at this. Philippians 2, 14 to 15. Okay, before I read it, our light is visible to the community around us. Now, let's read this. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shall shine as lights in the world. Let's explain this. Let's look into this verse backwards. Now, we understand this, right? We are shining as lights in the world. This is our topic this afternoon. Lights of the world. Now, we also understand that this world is crooked and perverse. We saw that one earlier. This is why we need to shine as lights to them. Okay, now, uh, the Apostle Paul was saying when he wrote this, that to, be, to become lights to the world, we need to become blameless and harmless. It doesn't mean that we don't have any sin. It means that when we do sin, we need to do everything that we can to correct it. That's what blameless means, right? And harmless doesn't mean we're like rugs or toys, like not doing anything. It means that we're actually not harming our environment. We're not hiring our communities. We're not stumbling blocks to people. That's what it means when, we, when, it, when, when Paul is saying that we need to be harmless. But this is well and good, okay? What we need to understand from, what I need you to get from this as you drive away today, as you eat supper tonight, is this, the first thing that people will see. This guy right here and this guy right there. Complaining and disputing. Let that sink in for a second. That is what our children see. That is what our congregation sees. That is what our community sees, our neighbors. Our complaining and disputing. How is that for light? It's not good. I encourage you today to think about these little things because they're not little at all. They're not little at all. The next thing about uh, lights is that it radiates. Look at what Jesus says here. Matthew 5, the second part of verse 16. In the same way, uh, the first part of verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. We do things with the express understanding and recognition that it will be seen by people. It will be seen by people. John 8 verse 12 when Jesus spoke again to the people he said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life good news the light that we shine to people they're not ours they're from the one true light Jesus so what happens is this he gives us the light and as luminaries we reflect it to the people around us we're like the moon. 
<laughs> Sorry, I can't wait but giggle every time I say that. Because I remember like when I preached this uh, four weeks ago in Winnipeg, we had in, in Winnipeg we did a, we do like an evening service as well, wherein there's a discussion about the sermon in the morning. So I was discussing this, but uh, do, do, you, do you know Tim Locke? Okay, Tim Locke, one of the members there, raised his hand. Oh, I like that idea about the moon and how we're like, you know, like we're like, a, we reflect the light of Jesus to people. It's like, you know, we can moon people. Okay, well, if that sticks, if that's how we would remember this, use it. Okay, use it. We need to reflect the light of Jesus to people. Okay, we need to do that. That's, that's why we do Bible studies. That is why we're here today, so we can learn more about Jesus. So one of the things that I want to encourage all of us is the idea that when we hear about Bible studies, right, some, sometimes we go, oh, I'm not, not going to go, I'm not going to do it. It's like we shun it because we, have, we, we need to do something better, right? What is better than learning? What is better than improving our our ability to become salt and light, right? Let's plan our lives around that. That's one of my admonitions to all of us today. Now, the last thing that I want to talk to you guys about here, what time is it? Do I still have time? I still have time, right? Thank you. <laughs> I just said, I answered my own question there. So the light is visible, the light radiates, and the light glorifies God. Look at... Matthew 5.16, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What we do in this, in our bodies, what we do with our lives, what we do with our houses, with our children, with our congregations, with our skills, our talents, with our everyday job, with our hobbies, we do so that we can glorify God. Not so that I can be, that the people can look at me and go, well, that's a good guy right there. I am nothing. He is everything. He is the one true light. And He is the one that we shine to people. Not me. Him. Because if I shine my light to people, my own light, they're not going to see it. You know why? Because it's dark. But His light is bright. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Pay attention to that verse, to that phrase. Declare the praises of Him. When you declare somebody's praises, what are you doing? If Chad was talking about me to you, and then I go, what is Chad talking to you about? And then you guys tell me, oh, oh, he's telling, he's declaring, he's declaring the praises of you. It means he's, he's talking to you about good things about me, right? That's exactly what we need to do. But one of the things that we need to understand as we apply this in our lives is this. Sometimes when we share our faith with people, when we preach up here, when we teach by our Bible studies, sometimes we have this idea that uh, instead of encouraging people, we're discouraging them. What do I mean by that? Have you guys, like, have you guys sometimes, like, uh, heard a, a sermon or a lesson and then you came out, you're in your car and you just don't feel right? You just feel discouraged? 
just feel like it's a downer. Why do we preach like that? Why do we do Bible studies like that? Are we declaring the praises of Jesus? I mean, yes, definitely. We need to talk about hell. We need to talk about things that we do bad. But we do not end there. We don't stop there. We continue along. This is not good, so I encourage you to do this instead. Don't stop there. When we preach about hell, it's good because the Bible talks about that. But sometimes we stop there. And then we go down and we sit down. And people, you know, the congregation is going, what do I do now? Change the narrative because it's never, I, I say unto you, right? I say unto you, it shouldn't be that way. In the, in, in the Old Testament, in the prophets, God would tell the prophets to tell his people, go tell, talk to my people. And you know how they did it? If you look at the outlines of the prophets, they tell them, you guys did bad. You guys are going to be punished. What is always the ending? They, he always says, the prophets always say, but God's mercy is going to shine again. He's going to come back for you. There's going to be a remnant for you. He's going to bring someone up so that Israel will be great again. There's always that hope. And that's one of the things that I want to encourage us to do as congregations of the Lord's Church today. Preach gracefully. Teach gracefully. Because this is what we need our communities to understand. That God, Jesus, is amazing. I'm slowly running out of time. But you know what? The message today is simple. Salt and light. But give me more, a few more minutes. I know I'm going to go over, but it's okay. I'm, I'm from, I have island time. Okay, I'm on island time. I'm, I'm allowed. <laughs> this is my first time here, and you go, oh, God, he's already going over time. He's not coming back here. But it's okay. It's okay. Salt and light. We need to understand. And I really want to package it up for you so that you will not forget this. How do we really you know, drive this lesson down in our minds and in our hearts. Well, one of the things that we can do is do not forget who we are in God. The Sermon on the Mount is amazing. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know how we started? He talked about his people. He talked about the people that are going to be in his kingdom. Beatitudes. He told people about what his... He told the crowd, if you're in my kingdom, essentially you are going to be blessed. You will inherit the kingdom. You will be, uh, um, what is that? I'm just, okay. It says in here, Matthew 5, yours is going to be the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. Uh, you will be filled. You will obtain mercy. You will see God. You will be called sons of God. You know why? Because of who they will be and who they are in Jesus. This is what we need to be first. First, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said that people who are going to go in his kingdom will be poor in spirit. Do you know what that means? We need to understand first that we are spiritually bankrupt. You will not enter the kingdom without this. Sometimes, you know, our young, you know, like, I see this a lot with our, the people that grew up in the church, right? 
why do you want to be a Christian? I mean, I'm practically Christian already. I grew up in the church. But why do you need to, well, I mean, I just want to be able to dip into that thing. I'm not, I don't want to be the only teen not drinking from the cup. You need to be first poor in spirit. You need to understand that without Jesus, you are nothing. And then after that, you know what they're going to do? They're going to mourn. You're going to mourn the idea that you are nothing without Jesus. What's next? With meekness, with that humility, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. See the progression there? You see it? That is how all of us should have been Christians. And this hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that never stops. This is the one that makes us cultivate a merciful heart. That's the next thing in the list. It's the one that makes us cultivate a pure heart. It's the one that makes us search for peace. You know what? This is different from peacekeeping. Do you know the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking? I was in the army and the difference is life and death. Canadians have been known to be peacekeepers. They go in there without guns, without anything, without protection. They're just there in their uniform, keeping the peace that's already there. You just talk to the locals, high five. Everything's good. But then our mandate changed when Afghanistan happened. You know what we are now? We're no longer peacekeepers. We're now peacemakers. Now there's no more peace where we're going to go. Now we need to have guns now. We need to make peace. Jesus says, Christians are peacemakers. Maybe it's a lesson for, that, for another time, but think about that. With that, we are, we, we, with hungering and thirsting for righteousness, with our meekness, with that humility, we understand that we will be persecuted in this world as salt and light. But it's okay because Jesus is with us. Our Lord is with us. If we th remember these things, these things right there in the middle, the, the reasons for why we are so blessed, then maybe it will be easier for us to zone in on the idea that we are salt and light Christians. Thank you very much for your time.